This is the Drive-In Podcast, episode 66, take one. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to the 66th episode of the Drive-In Podcast. On today's episode, we have the Express Checkup with yours truly, Dr. O. We have our review of Jane Campion's recent Netflix release, The Power of the Dog. Then we have our top billing draft of the greatest Christmas movie characters. Celebrate the holiday season. Let's go. So use the bathroom now. Grab that popcorn and enjoy the 66th. It's so hard to pronounce. The 66th, 66th, so you say, you say it, say it. 66th. 66th episode. 66th. 66th. 6th. 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 Episode of the Drive-In Podcast. <laughs> All right, Ricky Flex, episode 66, Avoid the TH, is here. That was so painful, Ricky Flex. I'm glad that I'm on the Zoom with you this evening. Um, how is your holidays going? Uh, Craig, any Christmas movies to get ready for this draft today? Yeah, definitely some Christmas movies. It's officially Christmas season and it's officially Christmas movie season. And I am looking forward to this draft. This draft might be controversial. There might be some shocking picks, but we have a lot of news ahead of us. I don't want to get ahead of, uh, ahead of our, t- uh, get past because this news, this checkup is crazy. I'm not trying to dive right into it, but there's a lot to talk about. Dr. O, how are you? Enjoy- how are you doing? How are the Christmas movies going for you? How many times have you watched Klaus? I, I honestly haven't gotten to, I haven't, I haven't been able to watch it yet. Wow. And that's, it's, that's really upsetting. I haven't Fraud. watched any Christmas movies, really. I, I really haven't. I haven't gotten in the season yet. Uh, I, I tried to watch, <clears throat> I was like watching Get Back the other week, uh, last week. And uh, I, it was like two hours long. I was like, okay, like maybe I'll just watch part one and then a little bit of part two. And then I said I was going to try out Seth Rogen, Santa Inc. And my God, I forgot about this. And my God, have you heard the news about this movie, Ricky Flex? I I have not. I don't know anybody except you that have seen that has watched it. So I don't think it's as bad as the reviews say. It's currently the lowest rated show in the history of IMDb. Wait, what? It's one point one out of ten on IMDb. That and but wait, that's I also have to watch it. Do a quick review Seth, next time. But Seth Rogen has also said, he, I think he's direct quote from a tweet, I should say, is that white supremacists are review bombing the show. Interesting. That- it's, a Christmas, it's a Christmas show made by, obviously run by Jews. Like Seth Rogen is playing Santa Claus. And there's a lot of liberal agenda in there. Uh, there's a lot of jokes about vaccinations and things like that. It really turned off a lot of audiences. I don't think it's like 1.1 1. 1 out of 10 bad, but I did have to turn it off because I didn't find it that funny. It's really R-rated too. Um, it, it, it's not like, it's like, I don't even know how to compare it. Like the, it almost reminded me of Team America. It was very similar to Team America. It was America. like on that. <clears throat> it's like, the, it's like that level of crude, crude though. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's tough. It, it, it's not like it's not like enjoyable on that same level though right and it's just like yeah. it's also just making fun of christmas a lot too well, so i'm a big I fan get of the hate i'm a big fan of the night before that was <clears throat> not the tease later on but i love that movie that is great shout out miley cyrus miley cyrus yes 
Yeah, given uh, relationship advice to JGL, our boy. JGL. Um, what I want to do, Ricky, uh, last week <clears throat> we gave quote of the week. Sorry, I think I've been outside too much. I, I got a little something hanging in the throat. But ew. so I just want to go quote of the week. No competition this week. There is only one quote of the week. And it has to do with Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, we're going to talk about Spider-Man No Way Home because we talk about it every episode. And we're building up to Good reason. We're pretty much, what are we, a week and a half away? Yes, sir. Week and a half? Yes, sir. My goodness gracious, Ricky Flex. So next week, we'll be watching Spider-Man No Way Home. That's bananas. So this is the quote. There was recently a panel had between Alfred Molina, Jamie Foxx, and Willem Dafoe. Uh, so they were asked, like, what, what made you want to come back to this character and revisit this character? Willem Dafoe, the dignified and class and the classy man like he is, is like, oh, they, they provided a different spin on the character, something interesting for me to watch. But here is, or to, to me, for me to perform, here is Doc Ock himself. He said, quote, ah, for me, it's just about the money, end quote. I don't, I like, I, the funniest part is, it's so true. It's 100% true, the entire thing. He is just doing this for money. Alpha Melina would not, like, for 20 years to come back to Doc Ock, he would have to pay him a lot. And he sees how much the MCU is making now. When I saw that quote, I just, I just thought of, I think you should leave. You know, they pay me two mil to play Crashmore. That is my <laughs> rate. <laughs> two million is my rate. Well, I think, are you about, I think you should leave? Yeah, yeah. That's just immediately yeah, gotcha. I thought of just automatically for the paycheck. Hey, and hey, power to him. I, I love it. Honesty that you don't get a lot in these Hollywood interviews. Alfred Molina delivers. Legend. I, like he's semi-kidding, but at the same time, like not really, bro. <laughs> like he he is making eight. So this is gonna be I mean, it, it broke the box office pre-ticket sales. Uh Fandango, wherever else, AMC, like everything was like Everywhere. shot after that those tickets went out literally within the first hour. So I don't know. What, what is your projected box office numbers for this opening weekend? Uh, domestically? Yeah. Well, let me give you an over under and you hit say over under. Sure. Well, over. 160. Over. 160. Over. You think? Yes. Two, 200. Over. Really? I don't. I think it's going to be like the 190. highest grossing. The highest grossing is like 180. Or something? No, it's it's like Avengers must have broke two hundred, right? Oh no, yeah, I'm talking about pandemic era. Oh no? yeah, that that's like that's like Venom. I think Venom owns, owns that record. Uh, Avengers Endgame grosser record breaking three hundred fifty seven million U S dollars on its first weekend of screening. How much? It's, uh, three hundred fifty seven million. Okay, I like to walk my projection projection back. But no, but that no, no. I like I'm I'm okay. I'm thinking like 190 because of the pandemic. But like that's between U.S. and Canada. Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go 200. Just do it. 200. 200. Okay, well, let's 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 mark these down. Okay, I'm gonna say 190. You're gonna say 200. Venom only. Okay. Venom. When I say only, I it made what and made 90 million in the opening box office highest. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, like I, I'm thinking 190. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm confident in that. Uh, with that being said, Ricky Flux, that was a quote of the week provided by Alfred Molina himself. Let's get to the checkup. What do you say? Give it to us. Let's check the audiences up. Kevin Feige confirms that Charlie Cox will be the MCU's Daredevil moving forward. 
Feige said, quote, if you were to see Daredevil in upcoming things in the MCU, Charlie Cox, yes, would be the actor playing Daredevil. Where we see that, how we see that, when we see that remains to be seen. Let's go, Charlie Cox, end quote. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't part of it. Next, a Shang-Chi sequel is in the works with Destin Daniel Creighton set to return to direct. Creighton is also developing a new MCU series for Disney+, Plus. more Shang-Chi for Creighton. Next, Tom Holland confirms he's playing Fred Astaire in a biopic for Sony. Sony loves them some Tom Holland. Astaire was an American actor, dancer, singer, choreographer, and television presenter. He's widely considered the greatest dancer in film history. Hmm. Next, Brad Pitt is set to star in an untitled F1 racing film with Joseph Kaczynski set to direct. British F1 driver Lewis Hamilton is also involved in the film. Disney, Apple, Netflix, Amazon, Paramount, MGM, Sony, and Universal are all in a bidding war for the rights. Jeez Louise. Next, Honor the Armors will replace Scarlett Johansson and will star alongside Chris Evans in Ghosted, a high-concept romantic comedy adventure film for Apple TV+. Sounds like a win-win for Chris Evans. Next, a CGI monkey has been cast as Robbie Williams for his biopic better man which begins filming in early 2022 in australia do i know who robbie williams is no but there's a monkey playing this dude next tom hardy will return as alfie solomon's in the final season of peaky blinders it's just an outrageous turn of events from that show that the fact that we're getting more tom hardy next batgirl starring leslie grace jk simmons and brendan fraser has begun filming it was just brendan fraser's birthday happy birthday plump boy brendan fraser next Nicholas Cage has been cast as Dracula and Chris McKay's Renfield. Renfield will be played by Nicholas Holt, Dracula's famous assistant from The Tall Tales. Next, Modoc will make his live-action debut, apparently, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. He will reportedly have a quote-unquote major role. Next, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II has started his own production company, House 1110, and he's inked a creative partnership with Netflix to star and produce films for the streamer. We still won't forgive him for backing out of Furiosa. Next, the Steven Spielberg biopic. The Fablemans will release in November 2022. The film based loosely on is based loosely on the director's childhood, and it's going to be directed by Spielberg himself. It stars Seth Rogen, Michelle Williams, and Paul Dano. Next, well, Kari Skoglin will replace Patty Jenkins as director of Cleopatra, starring Gal Gadot. Patty Jenkins will instead produce the film so she can focus on Wonder Woman 3 and Rogue Squadron. Man, Skoglin is best known as a director with The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Next. Oh my God, Colin Farrell has officially signed on for the Batman spinoff show, HBO series, uh, the, the called The Penguin. Lastly, Dave Bautista is in talks to star in M. Night Shyamalan. Next film, Knock at the Cabin. That does it for the checkup this week. I'm out of breath, Ricky Flex. Which, which headline do you want to start with? Tom Holland is going to continue his dancing career. Fred Astaire, obviously, you think of the Tower, the tower of the Inferno with Paul Newman and Steve McQueen, but before... Fred Astaire, obviously, you mentioned dancing icons. So Tom Holland's going to put on his dancing shoes again like he did in that uh, lip sync karaoke or whatever. Looking forward to this one. And into his post-Spider-Man or just non-Spider-Man career, let's see what he does. This is exciting. You know, so he was up for the role of Willy Wonka. He lost it to Timothy Chalamet. So that we were anticipating we, when we see those clips from production of Willy Wonka where Chalamet's singing and dancing, right? Where you're like, oh, Thomas Holland would be really good at this. He has that background in theater. Uh, we've seen what, he's, what he did on that karaoke show with LL Cool J when he was impersonating Rihanna. Like, he's spectacular. He knows how to dance. He's one of the most athletic dudes. And he has the very similar frame to Fred Astaire himself. 
Mm. All right. So Furnister had a very unique look to his face and everything like that. I wouldn't say he looked like the average person, like he had a very defining look. Um, so Tom Holland, his body though, is I would say slender type of figure that matches. And it's definitely, you could, if I had to pick out of a row of actors who could play Fred Astaire, it would be Tom Holland. So I'm excited for that. And like, we kind of talked about this last week. What is Tom Holland going to do? Is he, he is he going to keep playing? We know he's probably going to be Spider-Man for another three movies, another trilogy, a college trilogy for Sony. He's going to be Uncharted. He's going to be in Uncharted, right? The video game adaption with Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. Let's see him get something more grounded, okay? Maybe something that has more appeal in terms of maybe you're going to bolster that IMDb page rather than just stacking up box office numbers. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And when I think of Fred Astaire, the, the first thing I actually think of, speaking of Christmas season, is Santa Claus is coming to town. He's the narrator. Really? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yes. So I, I literally just watched that the other night, and I remember seeing his name. So this is kind of weird that, that we got this news today. But no, I'm excited to see Tom Holland in non-superhero things, as we've always been saying, but also getting back into the dancing. And I don't know, like every time I think of like a Fred Astaire, I'm thinking like Charlie Chaplin, as in not because of the comedy, but because of the dancing and Robert Downey Jr. That's how he got his early Oscar nom. Maybe Tom Holland could do the same thing here. I don't know. Interesting. And uh, you just naturally connect those two, the two longest lasting uh, most appearances in the MCU. And then also just like mentor mentee connection. Yeah. Mentor mentee in those movies. That's, that's, That's an interesting comparison you just made. I like that. Um, I, 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 I want to say I looked up the I, the Wikipedia for Fred Astaire. Like, he just was really successful. I didn't really see a lot of, like, obstacles that he had to go through in his life. I was looking for that. I didn't know if he had any personal things going on. Maybe there's something that is to be revealed that I didn't know. But it just seems like it's just Tom Holland's going to be having fun playing this dude. Like, I didn't see anything. Yeah, ever, I, as- I, I did the same kind of deep dive, and I didn't really see anything. Like, he died of pneumonia when he was 88. So like no tragic death or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. He was a great dancer. Maybe he was a ladies man. So he's going to get some trouble there maybe, or maybe it's like a romantic movie or then uh, not just about his career, but romantic similar to like a, I don't know, like a June Carter, Johnny Cash type thing and walk the line. I'm not sure, but I don't know. I, I again, you didn't see any, there's no tragic death. There wasn't anything uh, headline news from Fred Astaire. It just it seemed like a good celebrity. <laughs> Yeah, just seemed like a good guy. I didn't know if he like went through anything. It's just like, no, he actually just lived a long, happy life and was an amazing dancer. Tom Holmes, like, yeah, I'd love to play that dude. Who wouldn't, you know? <laughs> right. Um, well, Ricky Flex, let's move on to something else. We'll, we'll jump into superhero movie stuff in a sec, but like, hey, dude, we got to talk about Nick Cage. Like, what we're casting here. Yes, right? sir. So we, we've had Nick Cage, like, I think a couple of weeks ago, he said he's never going to retire from acting. A couple of weeks later, we hear he's playing Dracula. I mean, that is perfect. I wish he was like going to be Dracula in the Monsters universe for Universal. That would have been incredible. That was my first thought. I thought that, that, that would have been incredible. I, I honestly thought that it, that was it. Because Chloe Zhao's doing the Dracula, right? In that Monster universe. Something. She's doing something. I think, I, I, I think it is Dracula. Yeah. So I thought when I saw Nick Cage playing Dracula, that's all I saw. And I, I immediately thought it was with Chloe Zhao. And I was just like, I was getting the tweet ready. Oscar incoming. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> no, but I, I saw that Nicholas Holt was in that movie. And he kind of lines up. He's the same type of semi-young, like a Ryan Gosling is playing the Wolfman. You know, Elizabeth mm-hmm. Moss 
in the invisible man from a couple of years ago, like Nicholas Holt, if he was a star of this movie and then you had Nick Cage as like the Dracula, I could see that fitting into this universe somehow. And I think that like Nick Cage just has that unique look to him, that long face to him. He, he does something with his teeth. It might be what he did in Ghost Rider when he just clutches them together and he sticks them out. He just looks like a psychopath and his yeah. eyes go wide, wide. It, like I saw the side-by-side that disgusting film posted between him and like a picture of like 1930s Dracula. I'm like, I mean, there's no one else they could have picked. And no one else. Nicholas Cage is the guy. And just going off to golf going off of the Nicholas Cage to Nicholas Holt. Good for him. Good for him. He had a kind of he's been kind of been not in the headlines. Like, yeah, sure. He he was in those who wish me dead with lost Angelina out on the Jolene. Batman. Lost out on the Batman. So he's kind of been not forgotten, but just not in the headlines. That and he's he's had great success with the great on Hulu. Um, I still haven't watched it. I'm not really interested, but that seems to have helped him. But he had to go to TV. He had to go to series. So this is like, all right, I'm next to Nick Cage, who might get nominated for an Oscar this year. People forget. It just came out early for Pig. I don't think so, but you never know. But teaming up with him and not a superhero, but like a monster, big box office type movie. This could be the the next step in his career to get back to relevancy. Yeah, I, I like I, I couldn't agree more like the Nicholas Holt take, like he still is super young. I think like it's those castings where it's like, Oh, I just missed out on the Batman. Usually they pan out like a couple years later, they're going to get the next big role. This is a huge role like Renfield and like a, like a vampire movie alongside Nicholas cage. And when, when Nicholas Holt is the leading man, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Yeah, Especially after this like resurgence of Nicholas cage, what were you going to say? No, and it's funny that you mentioned me because he lost out on the Batman. And then you said, like, when people miss out on the Batman, they actually end up doing great things. And, you know, it's another franchise that just need, that needs a new headliner. It's James Bond. And people. He would like, be a good James Bond, and bro. Pe- and what? people, he, they want a younger James Bond. He's English. What is he? Like, he was, uh, he's like 30, 30. He's, he's like around 30. So it's he would be a natural fit. So maybe this would be like the next step to get back to do something like that. So he's 32. I'm just, he'd be a great James Bond. So I'm just throwing that one out there. I'm still Dev Patel is my guy, but he would be a good one too. Big time. Uh, where else are we going to go, Ricky Flicks here? So Brad Pitt, F1 movie. This seems like these racing films are starting to catch on a little bit. We had Rush a few years back yeah. with uh ron howard and obviously chris hemsworth daniel Brühl. we had ford versus ferrari with damon bale and james mangold and now we're getting brad pitt for a movie that he's been trying to make except for like i would say 10 years now so this is i'm I'm very excited to see it i anticipate he's not going to have a role of a driver although i wouldn't put it past him where he's like a rock star level type of driver with the blonde hair to get rid of a couple of those wrinkles couple botox shots boom boom and then he's in the car no and like you mentioned Rush, right? That's 2011, 2012 movie with Chris Hemsworth. Like you're just thinking the parallels between Brad Pitt and Chris Hemsworth. Brad, you just think Brad Pitt could have done amazing in that role as well. You play an older James Hunt. Right. Like you think like, wow, he could have done that. But he's going to do this and during during a, fate, a time where F1 now is gaining uh, more traction in bigger markets, such as in the United States or North, North America. It is huge right now because of the uh, drive to survive on Netflix. Senna, that documentary on Netflix and just now f1 is on espn now it's bigger so this movie is going to be bigger than rush was even though i'm not going to say it's going to be better i do think josh kaczynski he's like a or joe sorry he is like a name that's 
been popping up recently a lot. And it's because Top Gun Maverick, Escape from Spiderhead, like he's been in the news and things that we've been covering on this podcast. So now this is just the next one that is going to be big blockbuster for him. So him teaming up with Brad Pitt, like it just seems natural. And it seems like with those movies, there's always a second person in the movie. Like mm-hmm. we talk about Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Then we talked about Daniel Brohl with Chris Hemsworth. Like who is going to be in this movie alongside Rival. Brad Pitt, you know? And we maybe we'll get that Leo magic again somehow from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, put the two back together, dynamic duo. I don't think you could top it. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's fun to dream. Um, I also want to talk about, I like how we're going away from superhero stuff right now. This is this is good conversation, especially with the kind of review we have today. But Ghosted, this movie, uh, Apple TV, seems like uh, they are figured out how to gain garner talent, right? So this one we have Chris Chris Evans uh, instead of uh, Scar Scarjo. We have Ana de Armas. We just had we've like we've had. Tom Hanks pretty much make Apple TV his home. We have Killers of the Flower and the Moon with Martin Scorsese, uh, De, uh, De Niro, and uh, DiCaprio. So it seems like they're getting this talent. This seems like they're about to make a push, right? It seems they like are. they're about to make a push. Without where it's a like doubt. Th- that those jokes of Apple TV, like it's on Apple TV, I won't watch it. I think that's coming to an end. I really think their problem is that their shows suck. If their shows were good, I think people, more people would like actually have subscriptions rather than a movie, you know, people are like, I'll figure out a way to see it. I'll see it with a friend. If you actually have established shows, right. People continue to come to the service and like, they feel like the movies, they'll be like, okay, maybe I'll get the free, uh, free 30 days. I'll watch a couple of movies and then I'm out. You know what I mean? So I'm going to say something. Ted Lasso has saved Apple TV plus. Yeah. I forgot about that. Good point. Ted Lasso has saved Apple TV plus because before Ted Lasso, the the subs the subscribers for them were just so low it just seemed like they would never be able to catch up to a netflix or a disney plus who have over 200 million subs so it's amazing what they're doing it's costing them a lot of money i'm I, i'm i'm sure i wish we could see some numbers about how, how much they're paying scorsese or a jonah hill for the grateful dead movie we didn't you didn't even mention that one. Oh yeah or, like they actually are making a push for the Oscars too this uh, this season with uh, Swan Song with Marshall Ali and Glenn Close. So that's like, I don't think that's going to do anything, but that might just be the start of, all right, we're getting the talent and we're actually making good movies. Like I didn't watch the Tom Hanks Greyhound or the Tom Hanks, uh, starts with the F, the Ro- thank you, that robot movie, but that's not, t- those aren't touching Oscars, but Marshall Ali Glenn Close, maybe. And then you got Scorsese coming and you got it and more that you mentioned. So, but that wouldn't have started without Ted Lasso, a show that gets people to actually subscribe. So that was big for them. Cherry, we also forgot Cherry that uh, that bomb uh, earlier this year. But they've, they, they, I mean, I mean, they've had a bunch of shows that have failed. Like, the, like they've had yeah. the morning show who it's like, we have Corel, Reese Witherspoon, Aniston, like massive, massive names in the history of TV coming together. Right. And then it fails. Like, it's like, it really just isn't, it isn't drawing subs. Like you're talking about, you have Jason Momoa, one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood, having this show that no one cares about named C and he keeps promoting it. I'd see on his Instagram, like, dude, no one is seeing this. There's no way. So it's just crazy. So it's just, you need to somehow, I think they're, they're, they're gaining talent. And like they have Scorsese to direct movies. You got to get some showrunners, bro. That's where these streaming services make money. Well, that's how Netflix did it, right? Venture, yeah. House of Cards, like that. Mindhunter. 
right and Mindhunter, but like i'm thinking like early netflix like er, when netflix was just trying to make a push to say stream 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 before streaming was really big when there was still like it was right before they it, they stopped sending the actual movies over mail like right when they switched to just doing streaming that's when house of cards came and everyone did like everyone went to that and it's like wow netflix is incredible Mm-hmm. Apple TV Plus was struggling, but then they got Ted Lasso, and Ted Lasso ended up being a cult phenomenon—not just this first season, but now even more so in the second season with the award accolades. So that's huge for them. It basically, already we saved them, and now they're spending the money, getting the talent, and again, they just need to get some showrunners. They got Scorsese working on movies, but shows will drive the subs. They need more shows and more successful shows, not just talent. So you need the showrunners, like you mentioned. Good point. Yeah, certainly, it certainly won't hurt though when you have Anna Armas starring in a movie with Chris Evans. That's like the two of the best looking people on planet Earth. Um, Incredible. Anything else? So, Ricky, do you want to jump in? Do you want to talk a little bit about some Marvel stuff? We got Kevin Feige confirming Charlie Cox is going to be MCU's Daredevil moving forward. What was your reaction to this news? Um, are you excited for the future? And uh, do you think we're going to see him in Hawkeye? So, this is what I thought you were going to say for the quote. Uh, the, the quote of the day or episode i thought this was the obvious one so when you said the alfred Molina one i was shocked but I, I still love that quote but obviously who isn't thrilled with this you got the release stills of charlie cox uh and you got no way home coming out and you had to say this before tomorrow you listen to this on tuesday wednesday hawkeye episode four daredevil relevance there most likely happening so you had to say it now so then you get the surprise for Hawkeye coming up, building up the hype for Hawkeye and building up the hype for No Way Home. Feige, he knows what he's doing. He's a master puppet, puppeteer, impressive display. Go, Charlie Cox, go. I don't think he's going to be in Hawkeye, but I like Kingpin is obviously going to be. Okay, in. that's what I was referring to. I didn't want to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, everyone <laughs> like, knows. It, everyone yeah. knows. And like Vincent D'Onofrio quote tweeted, like the comicbooknow.com like tweet that said like he's returning and he said like charlie cox is a wonderful actor and a great man you know vincent d'onofrio on twitter is kind of like weird he's like really formal and he's like oh i would love to return to such an iconic part and like stuff like that i just feel like he has this voice when he's tweeting like the entire time like he just doesn't he doesn't tweet like a normal person it's just like okay yeah we get it you're thespian it's like magic johnson yeah he's like it is like that but it's like you know, it's like being a formal analyst, but he's like, I'm just a thespian. So I have to speak in this manner. I would love to have such a, a part with such depth again. At least he's talking about Kingpin, bro. You <laughs> need to like go wear a white suit and just like pretend to like punch people and punch your, put your fist through Charlie Cox's head. Like it's all we want to see. Right. So um, uh, I'm excited to actually have those two return. Those were this. It makes me wonder this. Does this open a door? Because even if Charlie Cox did not show up in, let's say, Spider-Man No Way Home or Hawkeye, they're committing to him in the future. Does that mean, like, John Bernthal, is he coming back as Punisher eventually, too? Because John Bernthal did have a quote earlier where he said he's not going to return to the MCU as Punisher if it's, like, PG-13 and it's not as hardcore as the show. What do you think about that? Do you think he eventually eventually makes his way back? Um. Similar to Alfred Molina, money talks, right? So I think he does. And especially with Charlie Cox and D'Onofrio already coming back, I think it's inevitable that you get the only other piece of Marvel property uh, from Netflix, like a, one of the shows that were successful. I think you have to do it. And that's like the last piece of the puzzle, the last question mark that you can complete. So I think you they end up do doing it. So just because John Bernthal is fantastic. 
he is such a good actor and Marvel's been attracting these great actors. If John Berthold gets added to the list to be regarded in the same breath as all these other great actors coming into comic book movies, I think he'll be more open to it now, not just for the money reasons, but also because of just the Hollywood practice right now. So Wolverine, I mean, uh, excuse me, Punisher is not Wolverine, right? But can you imagine like a John Bernthal's Punisher alongside Deadpool in a movie? Can you imagine that? He would be it's good. Like almost, it's almost, it's, like, it's, it's going to be a similar. It's like too similar, similar to Josh guy. Prolin. Josh Prolin's, he would have been a good uh, cable. John Bernthal would have been a good cable. Yes, but he's also a decent Punisher. I know he doesn't really have the size and the girth of like a, 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 a one you would like picture from the comics, but I'm just saying to have that someone to go against, I guess like if, you didn't bring back Cable somehow. Maybe Brolin can't do it, or they don't want to bring back Brolin in a role that's not Thanos. Like you right. put him alongside like Punisher, because I can see a world where MCU is like, yeah, we don't want to bring back such a recognizable face. Uh, yes, we know it's purple, but such a recognizable face back to the MCU because he's so connected to that part. I can't believe, like when they knew everyone knew a Disney purchase of Fox was very possible, like when Deadpool two came out. And when it was like starting production, yeah. I was just like, I was thinking in my head, like if there's a chance like that, this crosses over, like it could cause issues. Like I, I was kind of shocked that they actually just followed through with it. Maybe they didn't think it was going to happen. Who knows? Yeah. And they, and they did confirm that Deadpool three will happen and will be rated R. They did confirm that as well. So that does possibly leave the door open to maybe bring in a Punisher rated R Punisher into the, into the mix, but it's kind of hard because Deadpool was just so successful that they kind of had to continue doing what they're doing. Don't like break a broken or don't whatever the saying is uh, by not breaking a broken record or something. I don't know what it is, but don't fix what it just don't fix what I broke. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But, so. but it's just like, it's a way that he could have kept like the edge to his character. He could keep that R rating, that violence to him, that intensity. If it's like with, he could play that and then like Ryan Reynolds could do his thing, but who knows when that movie is actually going to happen. Cause I know Ryan Reynolds is taking a break from acting. Uh, Cause he's been doing so much of this blockbuster stuff. Um, uh, I want to talk about it really quick, Ricky Flex, as we're wrapping up. We actually talked about Colin Farrell playing the Penguin before. We've discussed that, how uh, we're getting a Gotham City Police Department show. Now we have the Penguin uh, getting his own series. He's only, he's been, I believe Colin Farrell said in an interview, he only has about 10 minutes of screen time in the Batman in total. Uh, so I kind of love that we're getting this series. But as a conversation, we've kind of like reiterated and uh, we, it's just kind of regurgitating the same ideas. But are we okay with getting like two, three different series, right? Confirmed before the Batman actually releases in theaters because it's coming faster than you think. It's tough because obviously you'd rather see the movie first and hear about everything else. It gives you hope for the Batman as in like uh, arguably the greatest trailer of all time or the greatest two we've seen. So we already had high hopes for this or high expectations. And now like, they're already planning spinoff shows. I just hope they're not like getting too ahead of themselves, but what I'm thinking is that this movie's a banger, absolute banger. And these spinoff shows are happening because it's a banger. They want to have greenlit these spinoff shows so um, immediately if it was, if they didn't know the Batman was going to be a huge success, not just the, like block uh, box office wise, but also like critically. But if you keep scheduling these different shows with these characters, it's that's a very unrealistically high bar for the movie where it's like, okay, we're getting a penguin it's already show. There. The bar is already too high. I know, but I'm saying like if you're getting a penguin show, those 10 minutes of penguin better be phenomenal because it's like okay, this guy's deserving of a show. Okay, let's see it. 
or it's like Gotham city police department. Like, yes, like they, they've showed us how Gotham looks and it looks incredible, but like, are, are, how invested are we going to be with the police department as opposed to Batman and these villains? Like I'm going to be like, yes, I want to show about these cops. You know, it's like, I don't want CSI. I don't want whatever. Right. I don't but want it's any HBO. CBS shows. It's not TV. It's HBO. Yes, I know. It's HBO. But like, I'm just saying like, like you're setting it so it's like I, I need to love every part of this movie because I'm gonna see a, sh- a crap ton more of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. keep seeing it, and so I have to like it the first time. And you're gonna see two more Batman movies at the minimum, like to do a trilogy. So you're also gonna get two more movies after this movie. So yeah, you gotta like it. But I think just taking a step back here and looking at Colin Farrell, just what a weird ten years or five years, really for him. Roller coaster, like. If we just like go back to like, like you're one of your one of your movies, Killing of a Sacred Deer, unrewatchable, um, unrewatchable. That's 2017, right? So you have that. You got Widows as a supporting role. You got Dumbo in 2019, flop. The Gentleman, and he was like a very minor character in that. Artemis Fowl, I oh, forgot who's in there. Atrocious, and he was Artemis Fowl Senior. Um, and then he did like, another A24 after lobster. Um, he did lobster earlier, but uh, yeah, I know. I'm kinda, just thinking of like that's when he was like kind of killing it. Which it was, it was like he had yeah. obviously in Bruges in like mid 2000s, like he is like literally one of the like the, the brightest stars in Hollywood. And then like 2010 comes on, he does like the lobster, and then you you always talked about killing a sacred deer. He did the remake, the Total Recall. Remember that? Yeah, it's <laughs> so just like yeah. Go ahead. It's just it's just interesting where his career is gone because. Like, sure, he's doing this, and like now he has something like formidable and like a name stay, but it's still TV, like it's still a series, it's not a movie. And yes, he is going to be in a movie with Beagle Mortensen and Joel Egerton, and Ron Howard's directing it. So, like that, 13 Lives, and that comes out next year. So, that has good potential there. And then you also have the Barry Kagan movie he's doing. So, it's like we talked about it on the pod um, once before. Um, he's reuniting with Barry Kagan for a movie. So, I don't know when that's coming out though. I don't think that has a release date yet. And I don't know the name of it, but it's just like up and down, up and down. Like, I just don't know where his career is going. It's very weird. It's just hit or miss 50, 50 shot. It's going to be like one of the best actors in Hollywood or just playing Artemis spouse senior. Uh, I, I, I trust it because like Matt Reeves, obviously he has a vision and we've course, seen what he's been able to do in these trailers, whatever, but Ricky Flex, you got to stop hating on TV so much. It's got, just, it, times are different. Times have changed, bro. You like, it's not like, oh, he's gone to TV. He can't get a movie. Dude, anyone can get a movie now. Anyone. Have you seen the crap that Netflix puts out? Have you seen those, this? Apple TV, these movies they put out? Anyone can get a movie. Like, it's like, it's just a different form of storytelling where you can actually go more in depth, like with a storyline, multiple storylines, different characters, right? And you can just go so much deeper than a movie or a trilogy with these series. That's like, it's like, you got like Oscar Isaac is doing a freaking superhero show. Superhero. Oscar Isaac. Uh, huge. Like, you think that's bad? That's bad? That looks incredible. The quality of that show looks like it's on par with anything Shang-Chi did. Shang-Chi. That was awesome to check up. Um, Black Widow. What would you rather see? I'm going to see a Moon Knight series and Black Widow too. Of course, but that's not of course, but that's still like I'd rather see a Moon Knight movie. 
Yeah, but it's a limited series. It's like, it's a different form. It's not as big of a name in terms of Moon Knight. So it's like, okay, well, we had a huge name like Oscar Isaac. Let's put him in a series. And these series, the, everyone watches these series. Talk about like what drives these streaming services. This is, the, this is like the alternate to movie theaters. And like, it seems like obviously Disney and like Mar- MCU, like they're trying to dominate both, you know? And they kind of are. Oh, they, they, yeah, they are. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just, know. I just think I, I I just think it's like it's it's not it shouldn't be looked on as it was like 20 years ago. It's a total different. But he's not joining because it's a TV series. He's joining because it's a like he couldn't get a Moon Knight movie, so he's doing a Moon Knight TV series. And he can Hawk is in it. He can Hawk is in it. He's also going to be in that Blumhouse movie next January that looks like complete Ethan crap. Hawk. He's the Academy Award winning actor. I know. I love Ethan Hawke. He's incredible. Oh, Captain, my Captain. No, no, it's not the same. I got, I, I got to think of other like series that are coming out with like major stars. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> okay. Whatever. No, I, I just, I, I just think it's not the same. Uh, that's gonna do it for the checkup this week. Let's move on to our trailer roundup. We're only gonna go over one trailer, and it was the trailer from the weekend: Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part One has arrived. The trailer, I should say. Miles Morales is back. Haley Steinfeld as Spider-Gwen is back. We got Spider-Man 2099. Speaking of speak of the devil, Oscar Isaac playing Spider-Man 2099. Man, this could be, this looks, I mean, I don't want to say anything. I want to hear your thoughts first. Ricky Flex, what was your instant reaction? First, uh, yeah, that was weird. As in uh, just like the drawings and of Spider-Gwen and then she sees it. I was cringing Creepy. myself. Yeah, that was that was, very, that was shout out to uh, I mean, just like Amazing Spider Man when he yeah. has like the pictures of Gwen Stacy on his freaking wall. I was like, that <laughs> was weirder. That was so much weirder. I that was my least favorite moment since like Tobey Maguire is doing the dance in Spider Man Three. Those are the two cringiest scenes in the history of Spider Man. Oh my god! But besides that, that like that was pretty sick. Like the actual like uh, web slinging and going through the universes was sick. It will be interesting. It will be interesting to see. How did she get back to the? How did she travel through the universe to get back to Miles Morales? And then what's going to happen? This is only part one. So this is probably going to leave us on a crazy cliffhanger. Maybe a Kingpin return. I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. So part one has me super pumped because like, like we're, we have to go to a grand scale where it's uh, where are we bringing back characters? Are we just focusing on introducing new ones? This kind of presents an opportunity. Maybe part one, you bring in these new characters and then he's on a journey with Spider-Gwen. And then like you could have all these different iterations that like they want to bring into the universe, like Scarlet Spider, right? Like Ben Riley in like the comic books. Or you could go to these different routes, like Asian Spider-Man. I hope that's like the uh, pro- culturally appropriate thing to say. Um, and then maybe in the part two, it's like almost like the Avengers Endgame route where it's like everyone comes back together as they take on this type Cage of return. this type of uh, villain. I think Spider-Man 29, 2099 is not a villain. I think he's going to be an ally, right? Like he's not a it villain, looked, is he? It looked like villain, but I think he will turn into an ally. Like it's going to be one of those, like when they first meet their foes, but then they realize, oh, we're not foes. We have a, a, the same villain. And then they realize right. they're not villains. And then part two and- is going to happen. And then they're going to go at it together maybe. And I do think, like, what was so incredible about the first one, yes, the concept looked incredible. The artwork, it, looked, it was like music. putting you inside of a comic book, right? And he brought back the music for this trailer with Sunflower Banger. But the, the detail, as I was watching, like, the trailer here, it's incredible. If you just look at his hair, 
right? He looks like he's aged a little bit. He's in college now. He has his own dorm. But like the defining curls with the animation, it looks unreal. Like the animation it's just like, is. It looks, I saw saw a side-by-side with the original movie. I'm like, oh my God, it got better. Somehow the animation got even better. And uh, the the, uh, hype around Miles Morales is so high right now, following Into the Spider-Verse and then following the Spider-Man video game now that he is starring in. He is the guy. I mean, it's only a matter of time before we see him in like a, maybe getting teased in Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, it's it's, sooner than later, he's going to get a live action movie. It's sooner than later. I don't know if they're gonna wait until after this. You gotta wait, right? Like I would wait. Let this train just keep rolling. Win every single Oscar for animated movie. Maybe even get nominated for best picture for one of these. That would be cuck. that would be pretty you remarkable. You can't. You can't. But, like if you make a live action one, you're cucking the animated trilogy right. or animated franchise. Like you can't. That's like disrespecting what they've done. That's why I don't think there will be a Miles Morales movie until they've made this part one, part two, and then they see what they want to do with it. Maybe mm-hmm. when they're comfortable doing a spinoff, maybe a Spider Gwen spinoff or something like that. That's when you start to have the live action. But you can't introduce it yet because it's totally going to steal the spotlight from everything that Phil Lord and Chris Miller did. That would make me beyond upset. Beyond yeah. upset. No, um, I agree. And I don't know much about like the actual Miles Morales comic book. I'm obviously I grew up watching Peter Parker. Miles Morales wasn't even created yet uh, by the comic book faithful, by these, uh, these, uh, these artists and authors. But I don't like even know I, like, who the bad guys would be. I don't know if it's not Spider-Man 2099. And like I've, they've already had different iterations of these Spider-Man villains. Maybe they're just going to do different iterations like they did with Dr. Octopus being a woman. Maybe it's like Green Goblin who literally was a monster of some sort. I, I'm just curious of what they're going to put together as like adversaries for him in the film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Oh, yeah. All right. That's going to do it for the trailer roundup this week. We are now going to move on to Jane Campion's Netflix release, The Power of the Dog. Okay, Ricky Flex, it's time for The Power of the Dog, a movie that it's kind of hard to classify. We're going to talk about it. What genre would you put it under? Okay, we're not going to reveal it now. It's a question I'm kind of saving, but we're going to give you the synopsis. We're going to give you the IMDb. We're going to give you the Rotten Tomatoes score and their audience score. So this is one of the most anticipated movies of the year, has a lot of Oscar aspirations and Academy uh, nominee uh, award winner Jane Campion Academy Award winner. Yep, award winner. Academy Award winner Jane Campion, Academy Award nominee Benedict Cumberbatch. We got our plump boy Jesse Plemons, and then we also have Kirsten Dunst. Shout out Toby Aguirre's Spider Man. Uh, so the synopsis reads A domineering rancher responds with mocking cruelty when his brother brings home a new wife and her son until the unexpected come to pass. Okay. IMDb currently has this at 7 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes is currently sits at seven, uh, 96% with a 65% audience score. 65% audience score, 96% with critics. So, Ricky Flex, where do we want to start? I kind of am thinking. We saw, you saw the trailer for this movie, right? It was about a minute long. And really, all we got was Benedict Cumberbatch whistling. You got a quick 
Pan to Jesse Plemons. You got a little like you have Kirsten Dunst staring in the distance, what looks like a period piece in the early 20th century. What were your expectations after seeing this trailer and hearing the hype around it? Well, I was, I was expecting great acting performances, and I think we got that. That's what we got. And I was expecting great cinematography, Montana, 1925, Rancher. And we got that too, even though they didn't even film this in Montana. So, but you believed it. So I it did it did live up to like my expectations of the movie. Was it slow? Yes. And the 65% audience score, I'm not surprised in. But I do think if I do think like the 96% just shows how good uh Jane Champion did with this movie and how good the actors were in this movie as well. What, about, what, what do you think? I mean, just from seeing the trailer, I expected to hear a lot of whistling and I did kind of get that I loved <laughs> to it. be honest. I loved I was it. on the nose on the nose. Uh, I expected, and also from the hype surrounding it, I expected to see something special. at Benedict Cumberbatch, dude, he delivered. He's unreal. <laughs> like he's so good. I, I like, I was, Thinking like I'm a huge Cumberbatch fan. I liked him in the Imitation Game. I like him in almost anything. I love him as Doctor Strange. All right, I think he is entering that level. I don't think he's quite there yet, but he's entering that like Leo, Christian Bale, Adam Driver territory, and he I, might get it all right, if he wins. You, All right, if you say I don't that, think he's there yet. I don't think he's there yet. I think he's there with Adam Driver. I well, yeah, yes, maybe, but yes, because they both been nominated. I, I I think very highly of Adam Driver. I, I like. I just think he's like there. I think he's that good. I think I, Benny I, Cumberbatch I, is that good. Yes, I would rather have. Well, this is a different discussion. Let me yeah, continue. Okay, okay. Cumberbatch was awesome. Like we're gonna get into the performance in a, in a sec. Jesse Plyman's very good. I thought they didn't really utilize him enough in this movie. Uh, Kirsten Dunst was unreal too. Uh, in a, I've really seen her do much. I know she's been doing like a lot of the artsy fartsy stuff, almost like if you put it almost feel, feels like she's doing these movies that are like, yes, it's like almost like a play that's shot. And then it's like put out for like 10, like 10,000 people. And that's like every, everyone that sees it. It's just like that limited number of people, you know, I just feel like no one sees her any longer. Um, but it's good to have her with her husband, right? Jesse Plyman's playing lovers in a movie that had me excited. And then um, Jody McPhee, I believe that's his name. Sm- yeah. Jody Smith McPhee had a nice breakout performance here. We're going to dive into it. So, I guess my expectations going in overall, like I just expected to see an absolute banger. I expected to see an absolute banger. And I think it mostly lived up to the hype. So Ricky flicks um, performances, Cumberbatch. What was so good? Well, first off, I love how like the banjo, him playing the banjo was my favorite scene in this movie. Like it was, it Which literally, time? It was incredible. And it just, the music in this movie in total, including the whistling, was so good because not only was it just like nice on the ears, but the tensions were just so high and the music just elevated that and made you just like have goosebumps throughout. I think they did a terrific job with that. So kudos to uh, whoever did the music for this and also Jane Champion directing wise and editing. But uh, again, with Cumberbatch just menacing, he's just great at playing a villain, man. Like, you, you didn't mention two okay, roles smog. when he was a villain. Smog, smog as a voice. He has a great voice for a villain. But, One of the greatest YouTube clips. Um, Yeah, yeah. But also uh, Star Trek Into the Darkness. Ah! He was a great con. He was a great villain. He is so good. And he's so smart and wit. And, like, 
like it's just because he's so smart and he conveys that so well and in this movie it's just like a down-to-earth like rancher but he's still like you went to Yale and you're like oh okay that's why Benner Cumberbatch is playing this guy a rancher out in Montana because yeah he's a genius low-key so I love this perfect for him even though he's not even American he pulled off the accent he pulled off everything in this movie dude this man I, th- I, saw, I thought I saw this the other day but he didn't wash like wash himself for two weeks while filming it? the shoot and he started chain smoking for this role man like he used to smoke i read that Didn't yeah he, he get, like poisoning or something nicotine he got poisoning? um what is it called nicotine poisoning three really times <laughs> three yes. times i was gonna say my favorite line of the movie ricky flex is where he goes like he's supposed to have dinner with jesse Plemons and the old lady and everything and he goes like I stink and I like it. <laughs> it was my favorite <laughs> line of the movie. I wrote it down. I was like, I, I got to make sure I bring that up. But you're right, dude. He just commanded every scene. And yes, Jesse Plummins was great. It's like uh, very good. And then Kirsten Dunst also very, very good. But Cumberbatch on another level, dude. Like, he commanded everything. So he seemed like... Talk about him with the banjo, okay? He is incensed inside, right? Like, he is about to erupt at any point, and you don't know when. And it was so good to see in the beginning of the movie, they go to, right, the restaurant or the dining in with Kirsten, that Kirsten Dunst is running. Someone's playing the piano. Him getting up and just screaming at that person to cut it out, and the whole place, like, leaves. It just set the bar. Like, this guy is an absolute wild card. Don't get on his bad side. And then also, with him and the banjo, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, probably my favorite, is when Kirsten Dunst is practicing the piano and you feel like it's a horror movie. Right. You literally feel like it's a horror movie. Right. Where you know he hates her with a passion. He calls her a schemer. You only married his brother, like married into the family for money. And he's playing the banjo like, he's like basically showing her up, saying, like, I'm a better musician. I can do whatever you can do. It's so much harder to do in this banjo. Right. And I can just crush you. And he's just like making fun of her. And then the camera is slowly panning towards like Kirsten Dunst as if he is. It's like what he is in the movie. It's like lingering over her the entire time. He's on top of her, right? And you're waiting for that moment where he's just going to like do something and the payoff. That's what you're looking for. So right. I couldn't agree more. He was phenomenal, dude. Yeah, he was so good. He, he was like, it's going to be a great argument as in, all right, well, you got Will Smith, King Richard, and you got this. Tough. Like that is going to be like Will Smith. It's like he's due. And that's like a biopics type story with famous people. So this is just a book adaptation, novel adaptation, but like, so like Will Smith has the more sexier, stylish role for the Oscar. So he probably, I think has the lean, but in ter- like, I don't know, man, this is a tough choice. I like, I mean, it is tough. I don't want to, I'm glad I'm the one who doesn't have to choose to be honest. Um, Put me on the Academy. I'll make a choice. I, I would probably say Cumberbatch. I would, honestly, I guess if I had to lean one way, I'll have to watch both movies again because I've only seen bo- both those movies once. But uh, what did you? How would you classify this movie, Ricky Flex? Like it takes place in 1925. Some some people might call it a western. Some people might call it like a thriller. How would you classify this movie if you put it into one genre? If I had put it to one, I would say western. I would. Uh, it just has all the western elements that you need, and also with the ranching. Like, I don't know what, like, what else would you call it? Like a neat, you could say a neo-Western. I have one. What are we saying? It takes different identities throughout the movie. The first 35 minutes, I agree, are Western. 
right? It has like the music, right? It has like the, uh, the set pieces. It's got like the, the, the costume and everything. But you know what it becomes in the second, like we talked about like the tension that builds, it becomes a psychological thriller in the middle of the movie. It becomes a psychological thriller, but then it changes back to almost like a, uh, like a revenge. It turns to like a revenge type movie in the third act, but the second act where it's like, basically he's haunting Kirsten Dunst and drives her to alcoholism. Like that's a psychological thriller. He is in her head and you don't know what's going to happen. You're like scared. I was like, my heart was pounding during the middle of this movie. Cause I was like, man, I really don't, I want, I really want to find out what Cumberbatch is hiding this entire time. What causes him to resent this woman so much? What caused him to resent his brother so much and live the way he does, you know? It just pushed me to like see the end of this movie. But I don't think the third act lived up to the second. See, I I think the second act, like you mentioned, like the first and third act being the Western elements, I do agree. But I do think it kind of dragged. It it was slow. And I think it was a lot of physical and emotional acting, which you love to watch, but it just didn't have that that thriller aspect in my eyes it had the haunting aspects and you had the great scenes such as the one we were talking about with the banjo or like when Kirsten Dunst doesn't play the piano and then Benedict Cumberbatch comes in and goes you didn't play yeah. you didn't play <laughs> Just- no, but like but it's also like the part where he's like bringing Peter into, into like the dog like the mountainside or it's like yeah, and yeah. she's like begging for him not to go not to go it's like man, what's, is he going to kill this kid? Or like, what's going to happen necessarily? Is it going to be like a broke back mountain type of thing going on? You don't know necessarily what's going on, right? It's Mm -hmm. hard to tell. Uh, So I do think if I had to do a criticism of this movie, the third act, it didn't live up to what was the buildup. Like where it was like, you thought like, Benedict Cumberbatch was on the level of an absolute madman where you thought like he might go on a murder spree by the way he's behaving. Like, I want to see what he does literally to Kirsten Dunst and her family and his brother. And it didn't seem like, like, it seemed like Jane Campion was like, Oh, this is going to be like a, it's going to be, this is great writing. It's going to be like, it's going to pay off where like the audience is going to like, think it's like, Oh, what a, it's so subtle and it's so beautiful. But I'm just like, man, like, I was looking forward to Cumberbatch just exploding at the end. And we just never got it. And that's like what I needed to see. I think, I think that's why another reason why the 65 versus 96 on Rotten Tomatoes here with the audience versus the critics, where if you're the audience, if you want to see that cruelness come into fruition at the end and just come in with a bang. But in the end, you just kind of got like poetry. You got yeah, just was, the softness side it was of beautiful. the movie. And yeah, it's true. But and you got like the suddenness as uh, Jane Campion has mentioned, but as an audience and as a viewer, you want to see the exciting thriller aspect that you claim that this movie is like the thriller aspect of it. As the middle of it is. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, you just didn't get that. I think that's because of the poetry, pretty artsy fartsy type aspect of the movie. And also just the slowness factor of that is why audience wouldn't have liked that, including myself. I did like it. I just thought, the slowness factor of it and the drag did kind of bring it down near the end. Certainly a slow burn. And this reminds me like we've, we have reviewed a few slow burn movies in the past here. card counter, like, like just pops in my mind immediately. I think overall, this was a better movie than the card counter. I would say, I would say that too, um, but I think the one I was thinking of more um, it's not a Western, but it's still psychological thriller type slow burn is the devil all the time. And I think a big difference between that like is that. that you get the you get the acting performance there from Robert Pattinson, 
No, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying you get Free one there. Time. But you get that climatic thriller bang at the end. You didn't oh, yeah. get that here. And like some people will claim that they did. Like in my eyes, I thought it was confusing and weird. As in, it just was. It was hard just, to tell. It just happened. And yeah. And you're like, oh, like at first I like didn't understand what was going on until the very end. I was like, oh, okay, I got it. But yeah, I don't know. This didn't have the bang. Well, like I couldn't tell in the moment. Cause like what is very much discussed from this movie is the ending. And well, did you get it or not? Did you get it? And I, I didn't get it until I saw them hugging at the very end. Like that's when I noticed, but that, that that's when I noticed how good of this writing, this writing was in this movie. I'm not going to do any spoilers or anything yet, but I just wanted to say like, it wasn't the over the top hit you on the head. Like, wow. It's just like, or it's like this big, huge third act that lived up to like the anticipation built in the first and second, but it was a clever ending. And it had a lot to do with Jody uh, Smith McPhee, whatever his name is. Right. Jody Smith McPhee. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. The so kid, in Peter, his yes. performance in terms of how much he cared about his mother, what his mother meant to him, how she didn't want him to follow the same path as his father. Right. And how she, how much he cared for. Her. And it, it, it kind of like made sense, the ending. And uh, if you have, if you don't, if you still have, don't understand the ending, you don't know like what, what I'm talking about, highly recommend just doing a quick, I don't even know, I don't even think it's on Wikipedia. I don't even know where you find it. It's just like, I think it's just not that obscure. Do you think it was too obscure, by the way? Do you think it was like, like for the common man who watches this? A little. I, I do. I, I, like I said, like I didn't get it uh, for like five minutes. But then, like at the end, I won't spoil anything. At near like the like the last two scenes, I was like, "Oh, that's what happened!" Like, wow, it's got to be okay. like mature audience for this movie, I think. Like for it you, is like, rated yeah. R though, so like yeah, it is. But um, there's like something that contributes like right at the turn of the second act into the third act or middle of the second act, um, that happens that I just think was far fetched a little bit, like as into the comings of it that kind of affects the ending to me. Um, but we talked about that in spoilers. Okay. Um, before we get to spoilers, what other awards do you think this could be up for? We talk about Cumberbatch and his performance. Do you think there's any other acting here or maybe even like a directing or best picture? What are the aspirations here for uh, this movie? I think this is going to be nominated across the board. I think, Me too. I think Cumberbatch, Nam. I think as of right now, um, again, like we got a lot of movies coming up this month. Uh, but supporting actress Dunce, that's a possibility. I think she, I think as of right now, if you had to like do one right now, I would say she would be in. And I think Campion for directing, writing, automatic. Writing, so, writing, writing might win. I would yeah. say writing so, might win. It's but it's at adaption, so I think it's even uh, more true. so of a win. No, I think that's adapted screenplay. Yeah, I think that's even more of a lock, uh, or not lock, but more likely to happen. Um, cause it's, it's not like a lot of the adapt adaptations this year just aren't as Oscar Beatty as this one. So I think that she has a great chance for that, but, um, and then cinematography, like obviously New Zealand impressive. That, it's so good, but it won't, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be Dune or anything, but I think it's good. Uh, you, nom, 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 nom. Yeah, no, definitely nominated. I think, um, Kirsten Dunst plays, I mean, she's a, a very emotional tormented figure in this movie goes through uh, semi, like, yeah, I wouldn't say her transformation is crazy in this movie. I liked her chemistry with Clemens, to be honest. And honestly, one of my favorite scenes, Ricky Flicks, is one that Cumberbatch wasn't even in. 
And I, I, I believe in praising Cumberbatch the entire time. Like he was like the one who stole this movie. It is his, it's his movie, yeah. but it's when they're out in the field. It's Jesse Plummets. He just has get, gotten married. He's bringing Kirsten Dunst to his home. Right. With Cumberbatch's character. And this movie had a lot of different themes. Right. Um, and I think the biggest theme was loneliness. And I think it's like also like where they live. Right. They uh, Montana open space. And like we have people losing family members, losing like uh, we have people losing their friends, their loved ones and things of that nature and like how they deal with it and everything. And Jesse Plummets just said, like, it's just great not to be lonely. It's just great not to be lonely. That was the most emotional scene of the movie when they went back and forth there. And I think uh, she did a great job, like kind of playing off Clemens there. You would have no idea they were married in real life, I think. But like judging by like the beginning of this movie and, and like how they met the and like, yeah, it's like where, where they're where they're with one another and like there seems like they're getting to know each other. It seems like they have never met literally, but they've spent I don't know how many years they've been married. So they that have was two kids cool to together. See. Yeah, that's crazy. It just makes you think like that just shows how good they are, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. And you mentioned like loss of loved ones. There were a lot of references to um, like the past in this. Love oh, yeah. how there was no flashbacks. Keeps the curiosity open. Credit the to the sound. writing. Like that is how you do it. You don't need flashbacks. And I thought that good. was very well executed um, from J- Jane Ch- Campion. Um, and then just be, be, uh, going off of Jesse Plemons here, because you just mentioned him. I thought he was good. Um, not a, like the screen time, obviously, not nearly as much Disappears as Cumberbatch or Dunce. Yeah. But um, you know who's, who's supposed to be Jesse Plemons, the George character in this, but had to back out due to scheduling conflicts. No. Do you want to give me a hint? Uh, just think awkward, like more awkward. Paul Dane. Sarah. Oh, well, oh my God. I do remember this. Paul Dana would have he been was, great. You know why he couldn't do it, though? Scheduling conflicts? The Batman? The Batman. So, and he, like, the, he tried to change it up. Couldn't. So, I actually think he could have done, the, like, I'm not saying as well, but the Cumberbatch role. I'm just thinking 12 years a slave, menacing figure. Like, he could have done that he's, role. He doesn't have that look. Like, there's, there's like, Dano kind of looks like he's not as confident. Like, this, this role, you have to be, like, like I like am angry and sense like you can tell there's rage inside me. Like, like even when I'm turned around, you can tell I'm, mm-hmm. I'm pissed off. You know what I mean? I'm pissed off. And like, I don't think Paul Dano can do that. I think he's more of a Plemons. Okay. Well, I just thought that was a fun fact there. You know, I, and I love, I think Paul Dano, like we said what he, we did, like in like this early 20th century, late 19th century uh, with there will be blood. And like, I can only imagine yeah. what he'd bring to the table here. Like I like he, he's great in period pieces. And uh, that's what this was for a lot of the movies. So it's like, and I think they really took advantage of the setting there too in Montana. It looked beautiful. It looked so nice. And uh, it matched so well with the score, like you said previously. Um, do you want to jump to spoilers? Want to do scores and jump to spoilers? Yeah, sure. So uh, I gave this an 84. 84. Um, for all the reasons I said above, I think a big thing is that didn't it didn't have a bang at the end. Like I said, it didn't have that thing that was like, all right, that that sums up this movie and makes me like I want to tell every single person I saw this crazy movie. No, this is just a great movie that was a slow burn and great action performances and just the good techniques. You had the good score, you had the good cinematography, good writing. You had everything you want critically 
but you didn't have like that viewer experience um, of like, wow, I'm telling all my friends about this movie. So 84 right. for me. I'm a similar boat, man. I had it at 86. So I think that, as I said before, I don't mind the slow burn as long as the payoff is enough where I'm going to be able to look back and say that was worth me sitting around two hours waiting for that moment. That, that moment didn't necessarily happen. It does pay off, but not in a way like you're kind of expecting and that you're hoping for and that satisfies you. But Cumberbatch is unreal. Like he is the reason to watch this movie. Um, it'll, it'll, this movie will take you um, for a loop. You'll be unex- it'll be an unexpected, fi- unexpected finish for you. If you are about to predict what happens at the end of that movie, you are an absolute mind reader. I don't know how you could, but I do think uh, also I want to see more Plemons. I love our plump boy. Screen time was living in the backhand. I wanted to see more of his, his kind of relationship with Cumberbatch. Although you kind of got the gist of it in the first half, I still just want to see him. Like, like he's going to be the lead in the Scorsese movie. I want to see Plemons. Um, Jane Campion. Writing was phenomenal. It was so good. Score, everything. All right, 86. Uh, that's going to do it for the non-spoiler part. Let's do quick, like three, four minutes of spoilers, Ricky Flex. We kind of just talk about, got to talk about the ending here. We got to yeah. talk about the ending, the reveal. So once again, spoilers, you can skip ahead to the top billing. If you don't know, if you uh, haven't seen the movie yet, we find out Peter, Kirsten Dunn's son, okay, sets up. Benedict Cumberbatch after they have this intimate moment, right? Where it's, you could tell there's some sexual tension between those two. Obviously the kid uh, has feelings towards men. You find out Cumberbatch and his friend Bronco Henry, like they were very comfortable (laughs) with one another. And then you have basically Peter giving Cumberbatch anthrax through a cowhide um, that he's making a rope for Peter. He gives him, then obviously sets him up. He infects his cut, ends up dying. It turns, you find out Peter kills uh, Cumberbatch's character so she doesn't harm his mother any longer and drive him to alcohol, drive her to alcoholism. What do you think like about the ending dad. overall? Yeah, exactly. What do you think about the uh, moment there, Ricky Flex, that ending? It was clever. Subtle and clever. I definitely, when he got it cut, was. when he got cut, I thought, oh, he's dying from some something there. Like at the end, I was like, oh, he's dying. I just didn't know it was going to be by Peter's hand. And that this kind of goes back to what I was trying to say in this non-spoiler section where like I understand like, all right, Benedict Cumberbatch wants to like kind of mentor him a little bit because like he kind of sees what he was at that, that age, like not the same as the other Cowboys. Genius, like going to Yale, artsy, obviously interested in men it's him like it's literally like him at that age he didn't know how to ride a horse yet and he was like that old that's like not unheard of at that time being around a ranch so he saw that so he's like all right i'll help him out like bronco did for him for me and he didn't get the flashbacks so he didn't know like it was the subtlety factor which was good but then the peter aspect him just freaking only doing this just to kill him at the end savage savage Dude. savage savage and- Cumberbatch kept calling him. He said he's you're not, you're not strong. He calls him weak, right. and he says like you can't you can't carry a family and this like that. And like he just remembers this stuff. And that's why I said like it's hard to like describe his performance, like Cody Smith McPhee's performance, because like it it it's all in how it ends. Like it's all in like his like plot, savage plot that he does that he takes yeah. to take down 
Cumberbatch. And like, it's crazy how, and then he, what he does to Cumberbatch when Cumberbatch is like finishes making the rope and he goes to see Cody Smith McPhee. He's he dressed, worked all night doing it. He dressed so nicely, he wore the hat and everything. I'm like, damn, like he looks like the kid now. He kind of looks like the kid. It, it was just, it was, I kind of like didn't know, like if you just watch this trailer, as I said before, you have no idea where this movie's going. You right. have zero, zero idea. And that's kind of, that's a great thing. That's like very few trailers like behave in that manner anymore, but it, it will throw you for a damn loop. But I thought the ending was clever, but once again, didn't have the payoff I wanted. I kind of wanted to see uh, Cumberbatch go savage or die in a way that was going to be like where I was going to like have to sit back and like, I need a beer now. Like, like right. just like that was like, like where it lives up to like his craziness. Right. And they, like, again, the, the writing and the acting performance, just like showing Cumberbatch's character, just the pure cruelty factor of it, like the manly man basically covering who he really is. Like phenomenal writing, phenomenal acting. Like just he, like he was, he was putting on a disguise, trying to be like the head rancher. Like obviously, like loaded. Like he's a very rich man, but like just hiding his true identity basically throughout the movie until he develops his friendship. Which I guess I just I didn't believe just out of nowhere they would just start hanging out together. I just didn't think they sold that at all. But because it was just like oh he was walking by with tennis shoes and people calling him like names, making fun of him. And then all of a sudden he just right. goes, Hey, like you want a rope? I'm like what? I thought that, I thought that was done poorly too. Yeah. Like I think like they, they hint that like they have all these parallels with one another. They went to school. They both went to school. They started, they look like, obviously he's an inexperienced rider. Like he needs someone to help him. Uh, it just seems like they, there was no point where he showed any remorse towards him or like that he cared about him mm-hmm. whatsoever until that moment. Like, dude, like he was the one making fun of him most of the time. You would, right. like, it was a hard, it was a hard moment to read. And the most revealing moment is like when he goes to his like secret spot and he's like, he's bathing he's there and he, when he's usually not cleaning. Yeah. And he, what's he clean with using, he wears like the Bronco Henry, like handkerchief and stuff. And so obviously yeah. that's his moment where he's usually that. I think that was the moment where he's like, that was afterwards, like where he walks through. I think that was the moment where he's like, this kid knows about me a little bit more now. I've, I've kind of like, yeah. I've exposed myself a little bit. And now Found his stash. I'm willing to open up to him. Yeah. His artsy so, stash. Yeah. yeah, his artsy stash, whatever you want to call that. Um, I also want to talk about Ricky Flex as we kind of wrap up here. I don't really much else, else say about the ending, although it was just very obscure. But we got to talk about, we call Jesse Plumman's plump boy all the time. I mean... We got to Cumberbatch has got to take it easy with the fatso. <laughs> He's got to take it easy with the fatso. How many times did he call him fatso in this a movie? A lot. At least at least 6, 7. Uh, that was a lot. I <laughs> a lot of fatso. Yeah, that was tough. I I wanted I had one other thing and I wanted to save it for spoilers because I wasn't sure if, if uh I didn't know about this casting in this movie, but Thomas and McKenzie. Oh. Yes, I just Thomas I just McKenzie in this movie. I did not know that. Like what? And then it's just she's gonna be the the maid that says, "Oh, I want to give a carrot to the rabbit," and then also be the score of the badminton game that was all but sixty seconds. It's kind of a weird. There's no for point. Her. There, there was no point in having her in this movie whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know. It was just kind of weird. It was. It was. It was like like it's just like yes, like she's building up like oh, I want to work with this director. I want to work with Eddie Wright at Last Night in Soho. She works with. Taika Waititi, and then uh, okay, Jane Campion. That's like 
the, the highest of the high get to work with Jane Campion. That's yeah. like, like you are, it's like, you have the to be a great actor, actress, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, you have to be like with the artsy fartsy. You got to be like <laughs> higher up there. You got to be high up there in terms of like Hollywood royalty. Like you, you gotta be like Daniel day Lewis type of actor here. Um, she didn't have anything to do though. She had nothing to do. It was just like to be associated with the movie, I guess. Yeah, I agree. All right. That's going to do it for the power of the dog. Once again, 84 from Ricky flex 86 from Dr. O. We are now going to move on to our review or excuse me for our top billing of the greatest Christmas movie characters. All right, Ricky flex. We are on to the final segment of the show. The showstopper. The top billing draft this week. We have the top billing of the greatest Christmas movie characters, a highly anticipated draft and one that uh, requires very much in-depth research. One that requires more Christmas viewings than I have done recently, but this is based off years and years, two decades worth of research. Ricky Flux, how ready are you for this draft? So ready. I'm so ready. I'm in the holiday spirit now. I know last episode I was saying I wasn't going to watch a Christmas movie till December 1st. Well, it's December 6th. I've already watched a few. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Roll, uh, let's flip the coin, and then we will uh, do the draft. Heads or tails? Tails. It is tails. What would you like to do? I will go. First. Okay. I'll go first. So I'll be I'll be drafting first. Ricky flicks second. This is snake style per usual. This is going to be interesting because like I have like around 13, 14 names here that I really like. These are I'm I'm locking in on. There's a bunch of characters I could say, but these are like the 14 I want. Um uh, there's I think there's a clear first round pick here, maybe two clear first round picks. I'm just gonna kick it off with Kevin McAllister. Home Alone. Uh, I don't know if we have, I don't know if we have to classify the movie or we just go with the character. If I have to classify a movie, it's the first Home Alone. Um, I think this is like the, the you talk about a child actor's performance under the age of ten. This might be the best there's ever been. This might be the best there's ever been. And I'm I'm putting Henry Thomas and ET in there. Okay, I'm I, I think this is like the most loved performance I should say of any child actor ever. And like, like Haley Joel Osment, Sixth Sense, you could say that like he got nominated for an Oscar for that. So that's huge. Harry Potter. But Harry Potter, was he under 10 though? I don't think he was under 10. Mm. Like he's young. He like, like how old was McAllister? He's got to be like nine, right? Do, do some research there. But this movie and this character is Kevin absolutely catapulted him into the center of pop culture. And for years, like he, I, obviously he gets his own sequel with Home Alone 2. He... Get, he's starring alongside a movie with Joe Pesci, right? And he cre- he's basically this movie sends his life into like the stratosphere, but also kind of ends his life at the same time in terms of like, it, like he can't top it. Like this was like the pinnacle for his career, um, and I, I think he's kind of con- he's come to terms with it when he really couldn't do earlier in his life. But Home Alone, I think, is the best Christmas movie, and he's the best character from that movie. And I'm just going to flat out say it. And Home Alone, after re-watching last year, Home Alone is better than Home Alone 2. I don't want to hear about the whole New York thing. Home Alone is straight up better. Check out the blog I reposted uh, tonight. Yeah, I've changed my mind on that too. I'm a, I'm a Home Alone stand now. But 
I will say, uh, actually, before I say this, uh, Macaulay Culkin was 10 years old uh, in that movie. Ah, Just 10 like, or younger, I'll say. Yeah. In the movie, he says that he's eight, but he's actually yeah, 10 at the time. But that's no, what I was thinking. This was my one one. This was my one one for uh, Christmas characters or holiday movie characters. Um, I think this was the easy one one, personally. Um, but this raises another question, Dr. Rowe. So it's you can only pick one character from a movie or can you double up on movie like characters from the same movie? I think I have no problem. If you want to pick two characters from the same movie or like I pick one from home alone, you pick one from home alone. I don't care. Okay. Got it. All right. No, great pick. Yeah. You're up with your first round pick. Ricky flex number two overall. Hi, this is buddy. The elf. What's your favorite color? It's, I don't have to say much. I think this is just, then Elf is such a great movie and Will Ferrell starring as a human elf in this rare form, unique story is unbelievable. And I think they did a great job, not just with the, the one-liners that you remember and can quote all the time, but also it's just Will Ferrell Christmas movie was bound to happen. It was in his prime or just after his prime. If you want to call it a prime just after Anchorman old school and it's still relevant to this day, but still hilarious every time you watch it. And has and also the snowball scene is one of my favorite scenes in Christmas movies. Buddy the Elf is my first pick. Uh, yeah. So this is kind of like what launched Will I mean, Will Ferrell into superstardom because it like first of all, like you talk about old school. That's like 03. That's the same year as Elf, right? Is it Elf 03? Mm, yes. So old school, it's like Vince Vaughn is the lead in that movie. You got like, uh, we have Luke Wilson, who's like the lead in that movie. Will Ferrell is the scene stealer and like, oh, this guy's going to be special. And you know how good he is on Saturday Night Live. But Elf is like where he's like, wow, this guy is just like, um, as an entertainer is on another level and he can actually be a leading man here. And it wasn't a done deal that like this movie is going to be a success. He's playing a freaking elf that has the maturity of a six-year-old, you know? But it's just like, the rewatchability of this movie is unparalleled almost to any movie ever made. Yeah. Any movie ever made. If this is Christmas time, it's in December. Like you're going to watch, if this pops on your TV, you're watching at least 10 minutes of it. Right. Just because you feel Minimal. like it's, you're, you're, it's, you're obligated to do so because it's Christmas tradition. You are uh, against Christmas. If you don't watch elf when it's available and uh, it's one of his best performances. Like some people think it is his best. It's right up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah great pick. And not just with the one-liners that you remember, but also the iconic, like he, he, Will Ferrell dressed up as an elf in tights. Like, unbelievable. You'll always remember that. And he turned down $29 million to do a sequel. That's how you know, like, you hit it big with a role. Buddy the Elf, that's a first-rounder in my book. That's my pick. And he's like, it's like he just, like, cares about the movie so much, too. Where it's like, he's just not going to do a cash grab when this is a beloved piece of art. Like where it's like this means this movie means so much to other people. This is not the same thing as doing like Dumb and Dumber Two or like a Fourth American Pie movie. You can't just like take this comedy and make a sequel and then it stinks. Because if it stinks, then it's like, man, like why do you even come back to it? Like it's like it's like this one is so great as it stands, and so many people like it the way it is. Don't tarnish it for anybody. So I kind of respect that he didn't do the sequel. To be honest, uh, I don't know how you turn down twenty nine million dollars for a comedy. Like, that's so hard to turn down. He did it. So kudos to him. I respect it. 
it's tough. I, I just, yeah, I mean, like he he can afford to do it. Like obviously, I would, uh, yeah. anyone else would do it in a heartbeat. But uh, what's your second overall pick, Ricky? Kick off the uh, uh, second round. My second round pick is going to be the Grinch. Now, when I say the Grinch, Doctor O, do I have to specify a specific Grinch? I don't think so. Okay. Well, then I picked the Grinch. Animated wise, it's one of my favorite animated uh, Christmas movies. And I think it's just the animation itself is awesome. And I love like the heart. They show you the heart and the how it's so small and it grows, everything like that. The voice is great, not only in that one, but Jim Carrey, when he takes on the role, puts his comedic spin on it. And then we just spoke about the man, Benedict Cumberbatch, putting his villainous voice to the test in the 2018 Grinch movie. So I love this character. He's one of my favorites, even though he's a, technically a villain, but he's still a protagonist. I love it. And also going back to the Jim Carrey one in that Ron Howard movie, like looking back on it, like there's some cringeworthy like scenes in that one and some very awkward scenes, but the makeup, everything they did to make it a live action movie, I actually respect the heck out of it. Like that must've been so hard to do. And especially just going in that makeup every day at for the set, like that's insane just to even think about, but Jim Carrey, I'm oh, sorry, the Grinch second pick for me. Yeah, it's a great pick. Uh, I like they can't like they're almost like the Grinch. You know, has this vibe. It's like a it's like a poor man's Joker, where you feel like it's a big deal when someone gets cast as the Grinch. Am I right? So it's like, oh, Jim Carrey's playing the Grinch. Oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is voicing the Grinch. Like, like it's like it's a it's like a a villainous role that has such important cultural significance to it, where it kind of does feel like the Joker, but just like at like if it's at a ten, it's like at a four. You know what I mean? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's good. That's a good analogy. Yeah. It's like, it's a big deal. Oh, this guy's going to be the Grinch. I can't wait to hear his voice. Like, just like the Joker. I can't wait. Or the Batman. You want to, I can't wait to hear his voice. Or it's like, Joker. Okay. Like, how is he going to look? You know, it's that same type of vibe. So it's only a matter of time before we get like another live action Grinch. Uh, and I mean, I'm going to put Benjamin Cumberbatch fourth again for the live action version. A less, a less comedic uh, uh, one. That would be interesting. Yeah, just it's a it's almost has that same. It's like you remember when Joker came out with Joaquin, and then you had David Harbor and Saturday Night Live with uh, yeah, yeah. Was it what was it Groucho? Who was it? Yeah, yeah. Oscar, uh, Oscar, yeah. Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> and then it was like his his version stuff and dressing up in the trash can and everything. That was gold. That was gold. Yeah. Hilarious SNL sketch. It's something you don't hear every day. Hilarious. And SNL I think just like, real quick, you also mentioned like. Uh, like being cast as the Grinch is like big, right? And I think Jim Carrey kind of made it that because like he was on such a heater. Like this, the movie was in 2000. Before that, he did, um, me, myself and Irene, but he did Man on the Moon, The Truman Show, Liar, Liar, like the cable guy, Ace Ventura. Like he, he, he played the Riddler, if you want to relate it to Batman again. Like he was on such a heater for those five years that Jim Carrey is playing the Grinch. So ever since then, like anyone's playing the Grinch, now and going in the future has to live up to the hype basically good point flex um i'm gonna go down and take my second round pick and i'm gonna go cousin eddie I'm going cousin eddie i was and, thinking uh, about taking this second yeah no cousin eddie is good for a uh, christmas vacation um this is the best character in the movie in my opinion best supporting character easily uh you could already obviously make a 
argument for the lead in this movie, but I think in terms of comic relief, he rarely, he doesn't really miss. He doesn't really miss this entire movie. And uh, like whether we're talking shitters full or we're talking about it's just the gift that keeps on giving. It's just like he has so many of the uh, I think our father, Ricky Flex, if we had him on, he would say at least five different Cousin Eddie quotes while he's yeah. like just sitting here. Mm-hmm. And then it's like trade trade the house in for the RV. And like he's just like such a grease ball. And that, like, you know, is going to bring absolute chaos everywhere he goes. And like all the other vacation movies, when he shows up, that's when I'm locked in and watching because that's where it's like, you're going to get like the interaction with him and Clark and Clark just absolutely despises this man. <laughs> despises him. Um, yes. I'm going to go with cousin Eddie Christmas vacation. Yeah. The, the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. Like he has all the quotes that you want. He's buddy, the elf, him, like probably the most quotable Christmas characters, I would say. And by far and away steals the show from Chevy chase by far and away. Yeah. So and then, I was going to say, um, I, I think of him like as Christmas vacation, but then I think of him, you know what else? It's the gift of not even just like him in Independence Day for the, but the gift from Independence Day where he goes like, hello, boys, I'm back. <laughs> He's just going crazy. I just, it's one of my favorite gifts of all time. Like when you wake up after like a long day of like partying. <laughs> right. But <laughs> it's, oh, it's the best. And I had the, uh, for me as well, not just the quotable factor and how funny he is, but the way he dresses throughout the movie, whether it's in yeah. the robe and that like that the light blue hat or the light blue tuxedo suit, whatever on Christmas Grease Day, ball. He's like, sweating yeah. all the time. <laughs> he took the house. I took the RV. Fair, fair deal. No, great, great pick. All right. Um, next one, I'm going to go with a little stop motion action. I'm going Yukon Cornelius from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, this guy took down the abominable snowman to get Rudolph and, and, the, and, and the fellas home. I'm, I'm proud of Yukon Cornelius in this pick. This is like the one I circled on my board where I was like, okay, this is like going to exemplify Christmas spirit if I have Yukon Cornelius on here. Uh, one of the great like stop motion beards of all time. And then moving on from that... He's got one of the, he almost has like a foghorn leghorn type voice that you just got to respect and that it just makes you want to hear anything he has to say. He's a wise man. He's a traveling man. Yukon Cornelius kicking off the third round. Yukon on my list. He's great. Iconic look. He had the beard, hat, licking the (laughs) silver. But no, I love this guy. Great, great voice. Love it. I love Rudolph and I love all the, I, I like the characters in Rudolph. I'm not going to tease any picks, but for me, like in these stop motion, like type of movies, I, 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 I eat them up. I can never say no to them. I, I hope they're on streaming somewhere. They're probably on like CBS all access, which I don't have, but I adore these movies and Yukon. It's just like a character that, that just stands sh- head and shoulders above the rest. In my opinion, I know our family has at our parents' house, a stuffed Yukon Cornelius. That is just like, I want to just like take it. I want to like grab it. And then like on the way home from Christmas Eve, I just put it in my house and I get to put it on the shelf and just have to wake up with Yukon Cornelius on in my house Christmas day. Yeah, that's great. But all right, <laughs> my pick. Your third. This is going to be interesting. Can I take the wet bandits or sticky bandits? You can't take two. I can't take both as a combo. No, definitely not. 
Now I feel like I have to pick one now. Because now I don't think without them being a combo, they're worth a third rounder. But now that I mentioned it, I'll, I'll take Marv and Home Alone too. Frick scene. That's all I have to say. Frick scene and him trying to get to the to the living room, the, the stairs from the basement. Like, what else? Do, what else do I have to say? Paint in the first one. I'm going home. I think Home Alone's a better movie, but Marv and Home Alone too. In that particular scene, I don't think can be topped. I think that's the funniest uh, part in a, in the Home Alone franchise. There. It 100% is. It's literally the funniest part. And I don't care if you're talking about the, uh, was it the Hell's Angels, whatever the black and white scene is. That's not the funniest. It's a great scene. It's been played out for both ones. But the one where he gets hit continuously with the bricks will never not be funny. It will never not be funny. It is incredible. And it's just like Joe Pesci ducking out of the way, him standing up, getting hit again and again and again. And it looks like he's actually taking like some shots here. <laughs> It looks like he's actually taking shots here. I got to find some of these quotes he had too, because he was an absolute electric factory on the mic. Um, we got we got to find some of these Marv quotes. Where are these Home Alone two quotes? Where's Marv? No I got to find bandits. Here. The sticky bandits. Oh my god, I can't find any right now. But I, I'm trying to. I I don't remember. What does he say? The lady in Home Alone two. <laughs> Uh no, never mind. Forget it. Like I we gotta be able to find some of these quotes, Ricky Flex. Um Rod Tomatoes hey, always has these quotes. No, I I actually do like that. Was the like, sound of a tool chest falling down the stairs <laughs> after he got hit with the freaking thing? What was that? That was the sound of a tool chest. Suck brick kid. <laughs> that's it that's, dude. <laughs> that's where our uh, we need to have our dad listen to this episode <laughs> suck brick <laughs> is it suck brick or eat brick suck brick <laughs> no th- oh, there's so many great Mar- Marv quotes I hope your parents got you a tombstone for Christmas <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> he took our picture how'd my hair look like I love I love this guy smell that yeah you know what that is fish no it's freedom oh my god yeah oh my god like this is where home like only reason home alone 2 is almost as like if you want to make a comparable to the first one it's marv is just daniel stern is incredible (laughs) in this movie like a physical comedic genius yeah right he's got to be and he he is unbelievable and i hope your parents got you a tombstone for christmas (laughs) and when he goes like like even the non-funny ones, he's like, I'm going to murder that kid. It's just like, you understand what he's going through. Marv, I love him. Dude. Like, Daniel that's Stern, my third pick. During this time, right, 90, 92. So 90, we had Home Alone. Home Alone. 92, Home Alone 2? Yes. And then 93, Rookie of the Year, Hot Ice. It's the <laughs> best of both worlds, right? What else oh. did he do in the freaking 90s? He was on a heater. He was on a heater. Uh, yeah, that's a great pick. I love that. That's the, if I had to pick one of the sticky bandits, it'd be him. Uh, so Marv, and you are on to your fourth round of Ricky Flux. Well, I'm gonna take a character that definitely changed Christmas movie uh, expectations, and that's why I'm picking him. I'm going Willie from Bad Santa. Whoa. Billy Bob Thornton. I think I've grown an, an appreciation for this movie, and at first I thought. I don't know. I just didn't capture the Christmas spirit. I don't know. But the more I watched it, the more I loved it. And it's Billy Bob Thornton. 
Billy Bob Thornton playing Santa, like uh, a mall Santa, like that's just ridiculous in itself. So, and the relationship with the kid, great. I just think just because this was just so trans, like this just changed everything. It changed everything. I'm going to pick it. Willie from Bad Santa. I, I, like, I've only seen parts of Bad Santa. I got to be honest. I haven't seen much of it. I heard it's incredible. I heard it's funny. I heard it's very much worth watching. Um, I'm not a huge Billy Bob Thornton guy, uh, to be honest. I, but I think it does. This opened up a huge, a bigger genre of movies in terms of like the Christmas collection where it's not, doesn't have to be PG and, and you don't have to sit right. around the fire and watch it. You can get in the Christmas spirit and watch like this R rated, uh, like a crude version of a holiday movie. So I, I think it does like, it's good, like versatility to your draft for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, like at first I didn't know, I didn't know if I liked it because it was just so different. And also I was younger, but now like, I just think it's like laugh out loud, funny all the time. And it's Billy Bob Thornton. Like I, I'm a Billy Bob fan. Willie, bad Santa. I um, good pick, good pick. I'm gonna watch that tonight. It's probably on Netflix. It, it traditionally is on Netflix during streaming, uh, during holiday season. So I'll see if it's on there. If not, I'm gonna check out one of these movies. I'm gonna pick within the next two picks. But before I hit my highly anticipated, it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Perfect. Okay, I got Prime. I'm going to go with a classic, one that is shown on every Christmas day on TBS and TNT. I got to pick Ralphie. Hmm. Ralphie, I'm picking. And I was tough because, like, I love Darren McGavin in that movie, and it shows my loyalties to um, Billy Madison, and then it shows me that loyalties I have to that lamp and how funny it is that he, uh, Darren McGavin owns that lamp. But Ralphie, as a narrator here, I'm not just taking him as the kid. I'm not just taking him as the kid. I'm taking him as the narrator as well. And those are arguably like some of the funniest parts of the movie. Um, the argument against this, I guess, would be like, there's other moments in this movie that supporting cast kind of steal the show, but like the iconic moments with like the BB gun, like that's, that's him at the center of the show. That's him at the center of the show. So I'm perfectly fine having a strong, like a strong holiday character, like Ralphie as a fourth rounder. So what do you think is the most iconic moment in that movie? Oh, dude, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. I think it's the most memorable quote. Do you, oh, so, like the Asian restaurant? Or you think the, the, the you think the tongue on the, the, the thing? tongue on the tongue on the pool, I think is the most iconic moment in that movie. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't put his tongue on it, but it's his friend and he's right there when it's true. Happening. Yeah, I you know? I personally I'm a Christmas I'm a, story. I'm, you, think I'm, you, you think I'm gonna pick the kid who put his tongue on the pole i don't know no 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 i'm just saying i was just wondering what you thought about iconic moments in that movie since you brought it up but i'm a i'm a christmas storied out guy like as in i've seen it too many times tbs all day has ruined it on christmas day i can't do it i will watch it once a year and i will watch it on christmas day come on you watch you put elf as your number one pick but that's so rewatchable (laughs) yeah i think chris well christmas story is way older and it's been it is like like termed as and rewatchable more than any other movie it, at Christmas time. And it's shocking to me. <laughs> and Christmas vacation has entered that category too. Yeah, definitely. It's just, I don't know. I, I I'm just, I think he deserves to be drafted for sure. If I had so, to pick a character from that movie, it's going to be him. He's a Christmas. Oh yeah, no doubt. I do think the dad's great in it, but not worthy of the top 10 pick here or on a board of 10. Ralphie definitely is. It's just personally, 
Yeah, I think you I think you saved it for this pick because you knew I wouldn't have picked it. Oh no, not necessarily. I thought like that, that is a huge name. Like yes. Ralphie. It had to be picked, and I wasn't gonna do it. So yeah, no, it's a like, good the only pick. other one would be his dad, and I just would never would. It's just like right. all right, lamp. let's go to my, my fifth. So this is the fifth rounder where it's time for me to express don't do this. My, my favorite Christmas, my favorite new Christmas movie. And I'm going to pick Klaus and I'm going to pick Klaus himself played by JK Simmons as my fifth rounder. It is a badass version of Santa Claus. I think JK Simmons voicing a jacked up Santa Claus is absolutely perfect. The movie is absolutely splendid. It's one of the best animated movies I've seen in quite some time, whether it be a holiday movie or not. It has an amazing song at the end, and it's so heartwarming. It exemplifies Christmas spirit almost more than any other movie on this list. More, Almost more so than any other movie on this list, save for maybe the stop-motion movies, maybe Elf. I think it's it's absolutely a, a masterwork in terms of holiday movies. I'm going with Klaus in Klaus. I think the movie is amazing. It is amazing. So it, not just a Christmas movie, but like, as a movie, amazing. A modern day classic. But do I, is there a movie or I mean a character eligible or that I would pick in this top 10? No, I wouldn't. I don't think J.K. Simmons in it is like I think the voice is perfect, but the character itself, I just don't know. There's a lot on this board. And we, we gotta have, stop. We gotta be more progressive with our Christmas movies, Ricky. We gotta be more progressive. We're I, stuck in the past. We're too traditional. This is why an absolute beggar. You have explaining to do in this honorable mentions because there's a name on this on this uh, honorable mentions here that I will I'm not gonna pick, but you have explaining to do. Um, what do you mean you're not gonna pick? Because it's from a movie that it's on, you had. It's a similar to a Ralphie where I'm not in love with the movie, but does it probably deserves to be in the top ten of Christmas uh, characters? Well, you take it then. No, I can't because I, I don't love the movie. But well, what, what are I, you talking about? I, I love Klaus. I, I can't not pick Klaus from Klaus. He's the best character in Klaus. Klaus. We'll discuss. Um, all right, my final pick, Mr. and Mr. Elvin. John McClane. I knew you were gonna do this. I knew you were gonna do this. I don't want I don't hear any of your BS. I don't, yes, but like, yeah, you could pick it. You can. I'm not gonna complain about it. I, I just wasn't gonna pick it because I like I don't. I don't think it exemplifies the Christmas spirit more so than every other person I, I, I have on this list. I have a fun pick, two other ones that I was going to pick. Um, so you're jumping that, down on mentions right now? Uh, well, I was going to say, if you really want me to keep with the Christmas spirit, I do have a couple like out-of-the-box names that I could pick here if you don't want me to pick McLean. I'm not, you, you picked it. You're, it's off the board. All right. You picked it. Then. John McLean, okay. final pick. All right, so I think I know which one you're saying, Ricky Flex, and which one you have in mind. And I, it is my favorite Christian movie of all time, if that's the one you're thinking of. But I'll make my case for it afterwards, okay? But okay. here are the lists. Dr. O has Kevin McAllister from Home Alone, Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, Yukon Cornelius and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Ralphie in A Christmas Story, and then Klaus from Klaus. Ricky Flex has Buddy the Elf from Elf, The Grinch from How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Marv from Home Alone 2, Willie. For in Bad Santa and John McClane in Die Hard, honorable mentions Ricky Flex. You're talking about George Bailey. You got it. Yeah. Yes. So, George Bailey. It's a great movie character, not a great Christmas movie character. 
if you know what I mean. This man is struggling, right, to provide for his family. He's depressed a lot of the time. He is he wants to make his family happy the entire time, but it's not it takes place a lot during Christmas time. Obviously, and the ending has a strong Christmas vibes. The ending's amazing. And I love Jimmy Stewart's performance, right, as George Bailey. But does it exemplify the Christmas spirit more than anyone like Santa Claus? Any more than a Christmas story? I love the movie itself, but I don't think I could pick George Bailey for a Christmas movie character draft with the likes of Buddy the Elf. Grinch, Yukon Cornelius, Kevin McAllister. He just doesn't fit into this like category, in my opinion. Does that make sense? Or is that off? Yeah, that makes sense. Nah, if you put in that category, then John McClane definitely doesn't fit this one. Uh, yes. But <laughs> so I'm not going to agree, but yes, I agree. I had Jimmy Stewart down. I don't, and like I, I am on the record saying my favorite Christmas movie of all time is a one, It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was just shocked. Your favorite Christmas movie, you're not picking the main character from it. I just, I was shocked. I don't know. It, I, I, it makes me, I guess I could have, but a lot of the times, like, things aren't going well for Jimmy. Things aren't going well. It's just like, I love the ending so much. And I think that's what most people like about the movie. And uh, it, that's where it captures the Christmas spirit, to be honest, where it's like being with family. Right. And then good things do happen for those who commit to their families and things of that nature. Like I do love the performance. I just, I just didn't draft it. I just, it's not like I think Kevin McAllister is a better actor. Like, like McCallie Cook is not a better actor than Jimmy Stewart, but I like to watch his character more because it's, it's fun. It's a fun Christmas movie character. Same with like Yukon Cornelius just hearing him talk just makes me happy. Like Ralphie, like it's just full of comedic moments as a kid with himself, with his older self narrating. Yep. Then Klaus is just like my favorite animated movie of recent memory. It's tough. Yeah. No. Uh, all uh, right. Other, other, other honorable mentions. So the one I was toying with at the end. Welcome to the Octagon. Yeah. Denver, four Christmases. Flip the tube. <laughs> what? Flip the tube. <laughs> In the wings playing the game, Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 oh, yeah, when he's playing the game. Who's saying. the only guy? <laughs> Spanish <that> dude. <laughs> Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> <laughs> I, I needed one of these when you got home from the bar. <laughs> Whatever. Alibi. Alibi. <laughs> <laughs> I should have. Ah, man, that was so good. Rob, um, Robert Duvall in that movie. It's not a satellite, Dad. It's a satellite dish. I don't want it. I don't want it. Um, but yeah, that's the one I was like, oh, am I gonna do John McClane or am I gonna pick Denver? But um, another one that you had to ju- pick both of them if you had to do Denver and Dallas, right? Oh no, Denver and who was it? Who was uh, Tim Dallas. McGraw? Who was Dallas? Tim McGraw was Dallas. Yeah, and then to Vince Vaughn's Orlando. Orlando, <laughs> that was in Orlando. I had Orlando on my board. I, I, I called him Brad, but I had him on there. Woman, you swaddle that baby. Do your duty and swaddle this baby. Unfit mother. Rumble pump, Brad. Please come up to the stage. <laughs> Poor Christmas's underrated Christmas movie. Um, also, John Candy, Gus Blazinski, Home Alone. Oh. I wish I took that. Yeah, that I had a home alone. Pick. That was my next one after Dunder um, for uh, characters. Then the rest of mine are like definitely uh, a next tier lower, as in um, 
that would have been drafted, but I'll save those for after you say a couple here. So I had already had a Santa Claus with Klaus, but like if I had to pick another one, like Scott Calvin, like Scott Calvin, for the Santa Claus. Uh, I know we're going to have some listeners that are going to be upset that that didn't get picked. I had Max from the Grinch, just like a loyal dog, just the most loyal dog like for such a terrible owner, the one that mistreats him. Lives in a dump. Jack Skellington. I do like The Nightmare Before Christmas, not more than anything I picked. Hans Gruber, if you're going to go John McClane route. And then Griswold, Clark Griswold. Those are pretty much all I got. Yeah, and just also, I wasn't going to pick Rudolph. I wasn't going to pick Frosty. Um, I wasn't going to pick those. Um, I think the only the close like stop motion characters I was thinking of was the Yukon Cornelius, um, Sam, the snowman, Burl Ives, just because he's such an electric. Oh, singer. I had that too. I had that too. He's such an electric singer. Like, Oh my God, have a holly jolly Christmas. What a banger. Um, have a holly jolly Christmas. my favorite Christmas song. Um, and heat miser, heat miser, like just the name itself is uh i don't i think the movie dies down in the second half so it kind of that's that movie, that pick, I, after watching that movie i'm not a huge fan of it i, I will the first watch half Ru- is really good the musical numbers it's good I will once watch the nature rudolph gets i'll watch rudolph 10 times over rather than a year without a santa claus mm-hmm. i do like the musical the musical number is good the musical yeah. number is good um i guess another one uh if i was really struggling i feel you had like a couple more people on this draft the conductor tom hanks and polar express um, the hot chocolate scene. The hot chocolate scene. Um, I wanted to pick Harry as a Harry and Marv combo. Um, didn't get away with that. And then uh, I guess if my favorite, I think this is my favorite Christmas movie, Santa Claus coming to town. Topper, the mailman, who uh, we talked about being. Uh, That's my favorite. Stop yeah, motion. Tom Holland playing uh, him in a movie. First there. Yeah. So that's my favorite uh, Christmas movie. So I would have picked one of those. Before we head out of here, Ricky Flux, I kind of want to throw an idea at you. So I was like thinking of like Christmas movies. If we did like a Christmas movie draft, uh, we won't because we just had like this Christmas movie character draft. But I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the idea of Miracle being Christmas movie? It's a sports movie, um, in my humble opinion. Very critical Christmas scene in that movie about a winter sport. I will say the movie doesn't center around Christmas. The movie has to center around like the Christmas has to be Die the driving hard. force behind the movie. Christmas is the driving force behind that movie because they have to it's, get together for a Christmas party. Office Christmas party. That's a great movie too. That's a, that's really funny. Office TJ Christmas Miller, party is funny. You couldn't have picked a TJ Miller character controversial right now, but he's awesome in that. I kind of wanted to pick the Michael Shannon character from the night before too. <laughs> yeah, the green, Mr. Green, Mr. Green. That wouldn't get to. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode, and that's going to do it for this week's draft. Thank you for joining us this episode. Ricky Flux, what do we got for a review next week? It's a West Side Story. Oh, my God. West Side Stories do next we, week. And this is – I'm saying it now. There is some there is some Twitter beef uh, surrounding the drive-in pod around oh. us. And if Mayo ever did another draft, I think it would be a musical draft. So if you're listening, Mayo, which you are, he is. Send a text. We got to shout out Mayo. We were his top top list new podcast of 2021. Yes, thank you, everybody. Spotify for so thank you, Mayo. I think until J Man, our other one of our other diehard fans, until he starts listening on Spotify, we have to treat 
Mayo as our number one fan. I think we have to. <laughs> like, I, I know not that it's, it's, it's just the numbers are the numbers. The data is the data. It's what we have in front of us. It's, what pre- it's what's presented. We need, we need proof, and he has. He does. But and that's no disrespect to J-Man. I think, he's, I think he could be – he might be our number one, but he, I, he, I can't call him that because there's no proof. But I will say I don't think either of them are, is our number one fan. What? It's Jake Gyllenhaal. Like by oh, you're right. That's going to do it for episode 66 of the Drive and Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on all listening platforms, uh, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're everywhere. We're also make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube. We have the checkup going up every week along with major reviews. Uh, we might even put up this top billing draft. I think it was an absolutely electric one. I think we can also go. I want what I want you to do is subscribe to the blog, drivingpod.com. Make sure you follow us on social media, Twitter, the drive in pod, at the drive in pod, I should say, Instagram at the drive in pod, and then TikTok at the drive in pod. Okay. Um, that's all we got. Until next time, we will smell you. <laughs>